Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. I very seriously considered a career in the arts. So clearly, money has never been a motivating factor for me in my career. So as a kid, I was what you might call an artsy-fartsy type. Okay, so I really loved painting and drawing and playing music and photography, all of those things. But my very favorite was theater. See, my parents, they signed me up for my first drama class. When I was in grade four or five, I went and did that at a local community theater, and then I continued with it throughout all of junior high and high school. So I was given the opportunity to play a variety of different roles in different plays and musicals. And so my humble beginnings included the part of a chicken in Charlotte's Web. Uh, I was a bush in the Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. And I was a silly girl in Beauty and the Beast. That's me there. Grade 8, those were the glory days. Uh, we all have to start somewhere, right? Yeah. So I eventually got to play some slightly more impressive roles, including the cat in the hat in a musical called Susicle, uh, as well as Velma Von Tussle, who is the villain in the Broadway show Hairspray. Thank you, thank you. Now, I remember during one of our rehearsals for Hairspray, my director, he pulled me aside and he said, Delaney, you really need to start acting more like a villain. And he didn't use the word villain. I'll just say that. (laughs) At least one of you got that. Uh, So I was a very self-conscious 16-year-old kid. So I was very uncomfortable about being mean and nasty, but that is the whole point of theater. You're simply playing a part. You're becoming someone that you're not to entertain an audience. Really, theater is like a socially acceptable way to be a liar. See, we say that it's okay because you're telling the audience an entertaining story. So maybe the reality is I just liked theater because I wanted to feel like I was lying and getting away with it. I don't know. Now, with that in mind, I have a story that I'd like to tell you, and you can decide if I'm lying or not. So this story, not actually my own story, but one that my friend Phoebe told me. Now, Phoebe is a friend that I first met in church many years ago, back at the church in Leduc, where I grew up. Now, Phoebe, she was quite a bit older than me, which automatically made her cool. Okay, now she was also very cool because she lived overseas. I don't know what she was doing in Leduc, but she did a lot of traveling, uh, and she was originally from Greece. So while she was in Greece, she did different entrepreneurial work, she invested in businesses, that kind of thing. And for a while there, Phoebe was living near Corinth in Greece. And she got connected with some of the guys there who worked at district office. Okay, now district office, ours is in Calgary, so it's less cool. Uh, But district, they work to support local churches in your denomination in the area. Okay, so over in Corinth, 
Phoebe made friends with the district guys and got to know the district superintendent, Paul. Now, unfortunately, Paul had a little bit of a problem because he needed to get a letter over to the church in Rome. But email wasn't working and the postal services were down. So instead, Paul commissioned my friend Phoebe. And he asked her to travel over to Rome and deliver this letter. So I went and I checked the travel route that Phoebe would have had to take, and it was lengthy. Like if we were to go and take the same trip today, we'd be spending nearly 20 hours in the car. We would have to hop on a ferry. There are some unavoidable tolls that we would have to pay. And Google Maps also let me know that there is construction happening just outside of Rome right now. <laughs> Not ideal. Not ideal. But Phoebe... She was undeterred. So she took Paul's letter and she made the journey to this church plant in Rome. Now they were using a bit of an old school church model, which meant that there wasn't one big building that they gathered in once a week to worship together. Instead, it was like a bunch of different home groups scattered throughout Rome. So Phoebe, she went and visited each of these home groups. And when she described it to me, it sounded like the atmosphere in each house was pretty tense. See, it's like there was an invisible line in the room. And on one side, you had the people whose families had been following God for generations. Right? They were very traditional. They insisted on doing things the same way that they had always been done. But then on the other side of this invisible line, were newer followers of Jesus. And they were ready to do away with some of those traditions and take a more modern approach to Christianity. See, these two types of people in the Roman church, they were like water and oil. They wouldn't mix and they wanted nothing to do with each other. But Phoebe, she had a job to do. So she brought Paul's letter to each home group so they could read it out loud together. Now, of course, this was not a short letter. As it turns out, there was a lot that Paul wanted to say to the people in Rome. So it took about an hour to read this letter each time. But Phoebe, she didn't mind because the letter was a proclamation of the gospel. It was a reminder to the Roman church of the rich doctrine that they had forgotten or misunderstood over time. You know, I can imagine that the tension in the room began to lift a little bit as they listened to all that Paul had to say about the righteousness of God, about the hope found in the gospel, about God's saving power and the grace that he extends to all followers of Jesus. Now, at this point, I should probably admit to you that my friend Phoebe is a couple thousand years older than me because it is the same Phoebe that the Apostle Paul commissioned to take his letter to the church in ancient Rome, a church that was made up of both Jews and Gentiles, two groups of people who were really living in tension with one another, while also living in tension with the Roman government and the Roman citizens around them. See, the first 11 chapters of Romans is all of that rich doctrine that Paul wrote 
And we've been diving into that over the last year. But a couple of weeks ago, we made it to chapter 12. And that begins the so what section of Romans. So I want you to imagine with me again, because I'm not a liar, I am a storyteller, that we right now are with a small group of Jewish and Gentile Christians in a house in ancient Rome. And they've just heard someone read out Paul's doctrine on the gospel for 45 minutes, and now he's going to tell them what to do about it. And that brings us to our text for today, Romans 12, 9 to 21. So as I read this, you can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen. And I want you to imagine what it must have sounded like to those first Christians in ancient Rome, keeping in mind the conflict they had with each other and with the rest of the world. So let's read Romans 12 together. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, there is a lot there. I'll be honest, I was kind of annoyed that Brendan and Micah both got to preach on shorter passages from the first two parts of chapter 12. You know, because when I first read verses 9 through 21, I was a little bit lost. You know, the whole thing feels kind of disjointed. There are close to 30 different commands in here, and each one feels like a separate idea. You know, like a topic sentence for 30 different sermons. But there is one big idea that encompasses all of it. And luckily for us, it's pretty easy to find because Paul put it right at the beginning of the section. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. See, the original Greek word for genuine here is anupokritos, which literally means not hypocritical. So in the ancient world, the underlying word was often applied to an actor 
who played a part on the stage. So the literal translation of verse 9 is the love not hypocritical. And it acts as a heading for the rest of the passage, giving us an idea of what is to come. See, I like the way that some of the other translators have said it in English. Love must be sincere. Love must be free of hypocrisy. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. They're all conveying the same idea that our love for others should not be a performance. It's not like when I put on that blonde wig and became Velma von Tussle when I played a part for the sake of the audience. So you can't fake it till you make it with love. And Paul, he already told us why at the beginning of chapter 12. See, the first two verses of chapter 12, they're considered the pivot point for the entire book of Romans. Like I said, the text starts with 11 chapters of rich theology and doctrine, where Paul explains the truth of the gospel, the righteousness of God, the beauty of salvation, and our adoption into the family of God. And then he says, therefore. Now, therefore as I learned in Bible college, is a big word. And I cannot read it without my professor's voice in my head saying, the therefore is there for a reason. What is that reason, you might ask? Let me tell you. At this point, Paul is basically saying, I have just expounded all this gospel truth for you. You have just taken a Theology 101 course and now you need to respond. Therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Therefore, do not be conformed to this world. Therefore, be transformed. And in the next four chapters that follow, Paul gives us the how. He gives us the details of what it looks like to live a sacrificial, transformed life. And last week, Pastor Micah taught us that our trans transformed life is lived out in the body of Christ as we serve one another. And today, we're talking about how to live that transformed life as we love one another. You know, I think the question that Paul is asking the Roman church and the question that I have for you today is, are you loving others to perform? or because you've been transformed? Are you loving others to perform, or because you've been transformed? Now, we can assume that because Paul says, let love be genuine in this letter, the love in the Roman church was not genuine. See, remember, the church in Rome was made up of Jews and Gentiles, two very polarized groups of people. You know, the Jews, they had all this history with being the people of God. They felt privileged because they were the descendants of Abraham. And they didn't really know how to live apart from the traditions that had been part of their daily life and culture since the time of Moses. But the Gentiles, 
they now made up the majority of the church in Rome because of persecution that the Jews had faced years earlier. And so now the Gentiles felt privileged because they didn't have to be circumcised for God to love them. And they were ready to modernize the church and bring it into the first century. So there were lots of issues that the two groups were divided on. And they each landed on opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, probably unwilling to even consider the validity of the other side or try to find some common ground. I wonder what it might have been like to be a church divided over polarizing issues. Of course, Paul knew that there was this divide, this conflict, this tension between both groups of people in the Roman church. And that's why I think he begins by writing that your love should be genuine towards other believers. You know, in verse 10, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. Remember, we are all children of God, adopted into the same family of God. So our love towards one another must be sincere. You know, you can't get away with not inviting that one weird uncle to Easter dinner. And you also can't pick and choose which members of the local church you feel like loving. We're all part of the same family. And Paul, he needed the Jewish and Gentile Christians to know that because they sure weren't acting like it. So, We've established that we are all part of the same family of God, and now we have to love one another. But love, according to Paul, is not a feeling. You know, it's not the warm, fuzzy tingles you get inside when you go on a date with a boy you really like. Can't relate. Um, instead, love is a mindset. Love is a choice that you make, and it's also an action. You know, you can go through this passage and see all the actions that Paul says are ways for us to love our brothers and sisters in the church. Outdo one another in showing honor. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Show hospitality to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We shouldn't be surprised that he starts with loving one another in the body of believers because that is the same command that Jesus gave to his disciples. In John chapter 13, Jesus is preparing for his trial and crucifixion. He knows that the time he has left with his disciples is limited, and so he's sharing all these big, important truths with them, things that they need to know for when he is no longer walking on the earth next to them. And in chapter 13, he gives them a commandment. In verses 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, obviously, the disciples, they have to love other people too, but they start by loving each other. 
Jesus says that this type of love is a witness to non-believers. It shows them what the people of God are all about and hopefully will create in them a desire to be a part of this movement of Jesus' followers. But as the Roman church illustrates, and as we ourselves experience today, this isn't easy. You know, just because we are following Jesus together, it doesn't mean that we automatically love each other. At least, not in the way that Jesus commanded. Jesus said to love one another just as he loved us. And Jesus loved us by giving up his life. According to Jesus, that is what genuine love looks like. Genuine love is laying down your life for the believer who you think gets a bit too charismatic during worship. Genuine love is laying down your life for the believer who hurt you because of something they said or did. Genuine love is laying down your life for the believer who stands opposite you in the mask and vaccine debate. Now, Paul in Romans, he doesn't explicitly say to lay down your life, but he does give us a non-exhaustive list of genuine ways to love others through our actions. But of course, Paul's discussion in this section of Romans would not be complete if he didn't look beyond the walls of the church. Just as we are commanded to love one another, we must also let our love be genuine towards non-believers. And again, Paul's exhortation in Romans echoes what Jesus preached during his time on earth. Jesus in Luke chapter 6, 27 says this, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Does any of that sound familiar? You know, at different points in Romans 12, we read, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I think that it's easy for us to love non-believers who are decent human beings. You know, there are plenty of people who don't follow Jesus, who are kind and caring. You know, they maybe do a better job of loving other people than we ourselves do. And, you know, I can get behind loving those non-believers. But Jesus and Paul, they take it one step further and they say, love your enemies. Love the religious leaders who threw the stones that martyred Stephen. Love the soldiers who imprisoned the first Christians 
for preaching a crucified Christ. Love the Roman emperor who issued a decree that forced Jewish Christians to flee their homes. And I think that they would say the same thing for us today. Love the person who cut you off in traffic. Love the girl at school who's been talking about you behind your back. Love the boss who doesn't give you the recognition you deserve. Love the Russian soldier who invaded your community in Ukraine. Love the priest who perpetuated abuse in residential schools. You know, I realize that it's easy for me to tell you to love your enemies because I have not experienced the same persecution or abuse that so many others have in the ancient world and still today. But Jesus, he didn't give a caveat when he said to love your enemies. He didn't say love some of your enemies or love your enemies once they've repented. So if that's problematic for you, you're going to have to take it up with the big guy upstairs. Now, to be clear, loving your enemies does not mean that their actions are permissible. It doesn't mean that what they're doing is okay or that they should get away with it. You know, in fact, the first way that Paul tells us to practice genuine love is to abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. That means promoting justice, supporting those who have been abused, and advocating for change in the face of evil. We don't love our enemies by letting them get away with evil. But we also don't love them by retaliating against them. Don't repay anyone evil for evil or seek to avenge yourself. Vengeance is God's job. He's the only one that gets to judge us for our actions on earth. So instead, we respond to evil with good. According to Paul, this is how we let our love be genuine. And by no means is this easy, but I would argue that the only way we can have genuine love for non-believers and for our enemies is because we ourselves have been transformed. I mentioned at the beginning of today's message that I love to perform. And I've played all kinds of parts in different plays and musicals. But there was one other part that I played throughout all of junior and senior high. Now, I became notoriously good at playing the part of the good Christian girl. You know, I followed all the rules. I didn't swear. I didn't drink. I didn't go to parties. Instead, I went to youth group on Friday nights. I volunteered in three different ministries on Sunday mornings. If you gave me a list of things to do to be a good Christian, I could check them all off. But honestly... I was just playing a part. I had learned how to perform and convince the world around me that I was a good Christian because I really wanted my parents and my friends and my pastors to believe it. I was loving others because the little Pharisee inside me told me to perform. It wasn't because I had been transformed. And for as long as my motivation was to perform, my love could not be genuine. 
Remember, genuine love is not hypocritical. It is not an actor playing a part for the sake of the audience. It is not simply going through the motions of turning on the live stream or showing up for a gathering on Sunday morning. Your love for the people around you, believers and non-believers, it should not come from a desire to perform, to prove to others that you're a good follower of Jesus. But you should love others because you yourself have been transformed by the power of Jesus. And out of that transformation flows a genuine love for the people, both in and outside of the church. You have to love others not to perform, but because you have been transformed. I'll call up the band as I close. Now, if you're like me, you might look at Romans 12, 9 to 21, and see a to-do list. You know, I could write out a list of the 22 things that Paul tells us to do, and the seven things he tells us not to do, and start checking them off, but that is not the point. That's the problem the Pharisees had with legalism and believing your salvation was based on your works. Just flip back a few chapters in Romans and Paul will discuss why your good works will not save you. Instead, I think we should look at this passage more like an inventory, a way to assess if your love is genuine an outpouring of your transformed life. I would even suggest that the love in Romans 12, 9 to 21, is only possible if you have been transformed. Because what Paul describes is a selfless, sacrificial love that is in complete opposition to how the world tells us to live. Loving others in this way, believers and non-believers, it's one of the toughest commands I think we've been given. But because you have been saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus, because you've put to death your old self and have been made new in Christ, you are transformed. And because of that, you don't have to fake it. You can love from the center of who you are with all sincerity and without hypocrisy. So Crosspoint, would your genuine love for others not be to perform, but because you've been transformed? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the beautiful truth of your gospel. I'm reminded as uh, today is Palm Sunday and we're headed into Holy Week and looking forward to Easter Sunday, yeah, I'm just reminded of the death and resurrection of Christ that made all things possible, defeating death and the grave and restoring our relationship with you. God, I pray that you would transform each of us by that truth. That we would not be satisfied simply knowing that but that you would create in our hearts a fire and a desire to respond the way that you have called us to respond. So God, in the week to come, 
would you help us to love each other? Help us to love our fellow believers. Help us to love those outside of the church. Thank you, God, for the love you showed us first. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.